All right, good morning, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 19 and 20, that's where we'll be today. 2 Chronicles chapters 19 and 20. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll be having our New Believers Bible Study. Uh, you're welcome to join them for that. Um, I think we're on week four. and Lesson two. Lesson two. So it's going about half a, half, a, half a lesson per time. So you aren't behind at all. I'm sure you could get caught up if you wanted to join them for that. That'll be in the large classroom tonight at 6 o'clock. And that's every Sunday at 6 o'clock. So... Uh, hop in anytime you want to. It's not like you had to be here from the beginning. You can pick up right where wherever they are. Also on Monday nights at 7.30, we have a Overcomers Bible study led by uh, um, John McBride, and then, of course, Wednesdays and, and Sundays. So any one of those Bible studies, just jump in anytime. And then I think there's a few in houses throughout the week. I don't know where they are, what they're doing. So um, we'll have to find out about that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to study it. And we thank you for the worship set, which goes right along with the two chapters that we'll be going over. It's beautiful how your Holy Spirit works and um, how you put everything together perfectly for the perfect service to prepare our hearts through song and through prayer, um, getting ready, plowing up the soil of our hearts to receive the word of God. And so that's our heart as we're ready for it. Give us everything you have for us in Jesus name. Amen. Last week in chapter 19, we got a little bit into that because it kind of went with 18. And it was Jehoshaphat being rebuked by a younger prophet, um, his age, but younger than the prophet, the son of the prophet that used to speak to Jehoshaphat's dad. So uh, just a next generation down here and kind of rebuked him for teaming up with uh, Ahab up in, up in Israel. Now, Israel and, and, and Judah, they're in a civil war right now, sort of. They're just at odds. And uh, as far as Jehoshaphat was concerned, he considered them brothers in the Lord. And uh, they're, they're Jewish. They're Israeli. They're, we're just not thinking the same way. And, and in, in many ways, uh, the northern territories are as good as gone. They're as good as pagan at this point. Um, and Jehoshaphat was kind of the back to the Bible group. And his hope, his heart was maybe, perhaps, I'm guessing, the Bible doesn't tell us, that there might be some ministry opportunities there. So yeah, of course I'll go to battle with you. And of course my son can marry your daughter and so on. And so there were some things going on, but um, in his heart that perhaps we might be able to mend this nation, you know. Um, and he gets rebuked for it by God. God sends his younger prophet to him and says, what are you doing? You, you, you can't, wickedness never turns good, ever. Sin never turns out to be okay. And that's the problem with this marriage or this being unequally yoked with an unbeliever is you, light and dark don't fellowship together. Light uh, dispels darkness for sure. And at times, dark can extinguish the light, uh, depending on how strong that light is. And it can, it can cause it to, you know, go away. But they don't ever get along. They're at constant odds with one another. You, light switch will tell you that. Turn it off, and, well, there comes the dark. Turn it on, there goes the dark. And that's just how it is. They don't ever blend together. And so he got rebuked for that. His, his specific words, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? And the answer is no. 
The answer is no to that. And we need to know that also as Christians. I, I love people, but I, I don't love sin. And I don't love the sin in my life, and I certainly don't love the sin in your life, and nor can we. And that was the problem with this being unequally yoked, was there was a, a dismissing of the sin that was currently going on in the northern territories of Israel, as if it's, you know, we're not even going to talk about it. It's no big deal. It's personal. I don't want to judge you. No. No, the, the prophet says, yes, you do. It's, it's not okay. Even in the New Testament, we have that. We have Paul in an, in an extreme case. This is by no means the standard. There was a moment in time in the Corinthian church where a, a man that was going to that church at the time was dating his own mother and, and so on, and, and, and all that goes along with that. And it was, they were okay with that. And they let that happen. And they were almost proud of the fact that they were so open to this relationship that was going on, which is incest. And Paul rebuked that church. This is a spirit-filled church. And says, no, you need to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that he might be saved. That sin's not okay. Wickedness never turns out to be okay. Now, Paul's heart was for that young man to repent of his sin and to come back to the Lord. But the tool that Paul said the church should use in that extreme case, we can't make this the standard for everybody. It's once in a while these things come up by the Spirit. But the tool we're going to use is we're going to, no, you can't fellowship with that in your life. That needs to be repented of. It's different when you're caught up in your sin or you, get, you stumble into an area and you're, oh, I can't believe I did that. That's different. That's every man's walk. That's every woman's walk with the Lord. It's a whole other thing to accept it in your life as normal, as wickedness being turned into goodness, as if it's not a sin anymore. And that's, that's not acceptable. Love is sharing the truth, and that's what this prophet was doing with Jehoshaphat. God loves this king of Judah so much that he's telling him, what you're doing is wrong. Our primary concern for our kids is their safety and their well-being. We want them to be well-fed, well-loved, but that love is by telling them no sometimes. You hate me. If you loved me, you'd let me do whatever I wanted to do and all that. That's exactly the opposite of truth. If I love myself so much that I didn't want to have any conflict with anybody around me, and that was my definition of love, then I would let everybody do what everybody wanted to do, and therefore I'm, I'm loved by them because that's all that matters to me. I don't care what happens to them in that sin. I don't care what happens to their mind or their heart or their relationship with God while they're caught up in that sin as long as they're not mad at me. And some believe that that's love, and that's not. That's selfishness. Love is, is hard at times. Love tells the truth. And so this prophet comes in and tells the truth. And that's where we left off last week. The problem was you've married and sidled up next to someone who is a wicked person, someone who isn't repentant, someone who doesn't love God, actually hates God, is an enemy of God, worships other gods, and you think it's okay and he got rebuked. Now, I want you to remember that because that's how chapter 20 ends, unfortunately. With the same exact problem, he doesn't learn from this rebuke. Verse 4. So Jehoshaphat dwelt in Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from 
Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. Then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, take heed um, to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. That was their oath of office, so to speak. I want to make you a judge, but I want you to remember this all the time when you're doing this. You're judging with God beside you. You're, you're literally the voice of the Lord in these matters. And, and you need to line up with the Lord in these matters. See, when you uh, represent the Lord, you have to be very careful about what you say. That's why it says that teachers of the Bible are held to a stricter judgment, because you're now speaking to a bunch of people on behalf of God, and you best do it right, or you're in trouble with God. And so, although it's an honor to be called a judge, well, that's great. Thank you. Wow. This is, I mean, I never expected it. With it comes a warning. Make sure that your judgments are true. Judges aren't popular, you know. You ever see those come up on the, you know, do you want to retain this judge? Or do you not want to retain this judge? And I, one guy said, I, I just vote them all out. I figured they're all bad. <laughs> Good time for a change. I'm like, oh, that's. That's horrible, you know? And another person says, I just leave that blank, which is probably better at least. If you don't know the facts, you don't know the person, you best not cast judgment upon them as their judge, you know? I like to look them up a little bit and try to figure out the best I can. And if I don't know enough, then I don't voice my opinion. But if I do, then I, I go ahead and retain or not. But you can be voted out. You can be removed, um, and this warning to these judges is, I, I want you to make sure that you take heed to what you're doing. Don't take it lightly what you're doing. Um, you're affecting people's lives. You're representing God. It's a very important responsibility. Let the fear of the Lord be upon you. I want that to be a very real thing in your life, he says, the king says to these judges. I want you to be afraid of God when you're giving out judgments. More afraid of God than you are about the people in front of you at the time. Because sometimes the fear of man brings a snare. Proverbs tells us that. And I sure hate the way they look at me when I talk about this stuff. It sure makes me uncomfortable when, well, they make me feel uncomfortable. And I just, I just don't want that anymore. And so you compromise. And that's not the case with these judges. You have to fear God more. I, I hate the way God looks at me, is what he's telling you. Hate the way the Lord looks at you when you misjudge things. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality nor taking of bribes. Don't do any of that. Verse 8. Moreover in Jerusalem, for the judgment of the Lord and for the um, controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the chief fathers of Israel when they returned to Jerusalem. In other words, these are folks that were living in those northern kingdoms of Israel, and they were, as Israel goes into this pagan lifestyle, they've left, although that is their land, that's where their, their lot lies, that's where their uh, tribes are stationed by God, they moved because they wanted to be where godliness ruled and reigned as opposed to wickedness. And so they've come down, he puts some of these guys in charge in Jerusalem, and he kind of gives them the same warning, verse 9, and he commanded them saying, thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully with a loyal heart. 
whatever case comes to you from your brethren who dwell in their cities, whether a bloodshed or offenses against the law or commandment, against statutes or ordinance, you shall warn them, lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this, and you will not be guilty. Well, guilty is a verdict. So in other words, you judges are going to be judged based off of your judgments, you know. You have to be careful how you walk, how you do this. Don't take this lightly. And he continues, and take notice. Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all matters of the Lord. And Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, uh, the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's matters. Also the Levites will be officials before you. Be, behave courageously, and the Lord will be with the good. Last days, it talks about cowardice. In the book of Revelation, it talks about one of the attributes of the last days group will be cowardice. I never thought cowardliness or cowardice would be a sin, but it is. God calls us to be courageous. He calls us to stand up. Courage doesn't mean you're not afraid, but you're just afraid of the right things. You know, you can still do the right thing as long as you're afraid of the right thing. I'm, I'm concerned about my eternity. I'm concerned about walking with the Lord. I'm concerned about being, uh, when I walk in, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, I, I, I'm concerned about that. That's what I'm concerned about. That's a fear of mine, a good fear, a healthy fear. And that causes me to want to walk courageously down here amongst men. Not only I want to walk uprightly with God, I want to look like someone who loves the Lord and walk the walk instead of just talk the talk. But I also want to see things the way he sees things. That's what judgment is. We, we use that a lot. Don't judge. Don't judge. No that's not what that means. Judgment means I'm not in this position. I don't get to sentence people, but I can see things the way God sees things. And if that's considered judgment by you, that's not, that's not my fault. I agree with the Lord on matters of sin. If it's sin to him, it's sin to me. It should be a very simple thing for the Christian to believe and to hold on to. But in these last days, you're going to find that harder and harder to hold on to that. If God calls it sin, it's sin. It's very simple. It doesn't mean we don't love that person that's in sin. That's why we tell them about the good news, so that they, like us, we, can be saved from that sin. But otherwise, there's no purpose of Christ. Why have Jesus? Why have a Savior if there's no sin to have him die on the cross for? What's the point? So he sets it up. He, that's his kind of his final thing. He's cut down the wooden images that are on. He's brought back the worship of God and, and all. Not all the high places are taken care of, but that's going to be the people's problem. The people keep going up there to worship. They're not completely uh, gods yet. But for the most part, he's done everything he can do legislatively to make sure that God is the God of Judah. Verse 1, chapter 20. Now it happened. After this, that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon, and others uh, with them besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Now, these are a group of three different areas that God previously had told them not to fight against them. When they came into the promised land, we'll get to this here in a minute, later on in this chapter, but I don't want you to fight. They've been left untouched by this nation of Israel. The Canaanites and all the ites have been taken care of. But these Ammonites and... Uh, and the Moabites have not been touched yet, and we'll, and we'll read why. 
But now they've been stirred up somehow to come and fight. It's interesting that as soon as Jehoshaphat finishes the reforms of his kingdom here, setting up the worship of God, the enemy attacks. We shouldn't be surprised at that. As Christians, as we get our lives in order, or we try to come back to church, or we come back to Jesus, or we come back to the Bible, or we come back to our quiet time or prayer, or we're bringing our family back to walking closely with God, and things are going well, and you're feeling that peace in your heart, it's not, it's not uncommon for us to be attacked at that point. Satan is not interested in losing ground. He's not interested in losing kingdom. And so when he sees that being taken away from him, he doesn't give it up without a fight. And here we have it. Oh, you're going to worship God. Well, let me send some of these people that can be stirred by me down to fight you. And so they are. Here they come. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, verse 2, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. They are in uh, um, Hezazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that their response to a threat was to go pray about it, to go seek the Lord, to go ask God for help. Their spirituality wasn't fake. It wasn't phony. A fake, phony walk with the Lord would be like, okay, well, you know, we got the churches going, everything now. How many swords do you have? What do you have this, that? They'd have gone back to the physical to take care of their problems, but they don't. When trial comes their way, when a difficulty comes that way, their way, they begin to seek the Lord. They set themselves to seek the Lord. We have to choose that. Judah didn't have to do that. Jehoshaphat doesn't have to set himself. He decided to set himself for the Lord, to pray about things, to seek God. I'm, I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. It's a big multitude. And so they set themselves up. They set themselves and prepared to seek the Lord. All Judah joins with him. He, could, he declared a fast and they joined in. What a great group, you know. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? These are all declarations of who God is. That helps us in our prayer time. That's how I start my prayers. Oh God, you are the creator. You are everything. You are. It reminds me of who I'm talking to. It reminds me of the, the scope of his kingdom. <laughs> how, how, how far reaching it is. And then it prepares me to say, so these are little things I'm about to talk to you about. You know, And it calms me down a little bit but it raises him up. I like that he put the word power there. I circled that. We don't talk about God's power a lot. It's interesting, the songs that were chosen for this morning. We trust you, God. You're going to be our defender. You're going to do this for me. The battle belongs to you. All these words that were coming out of our mouths and stuff. And for the most part, I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of us can sing these songs and not even realize what we're singing or saying to God. But it goes right along with the teaching today. It goes right along with his word. I want you to sing these songs because I've done that for you. Because I can do that for you. Because you know that about me. 
That's what he's saying here. We know this about you, God. We know that you have power. We know that you have might. We know that no one is able to withstand you. So we're going to the right place for our defense. We could trust in chariots. We could trust in our skills with the sword, but we don't. We go to you. Isn't there power and might in you? Of course there is. He continues, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence For your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. That's what the sanctuary is. It's a place where we go to. It's where we cry out to you. It's our megaphone to heaven. God, here we are. When we get into trouble, we run to to worship you. We run to you for help in times of help. Now, he continues here to remind God of something. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. You got to know your history. You got to know your God. You got to know your battles. You've got to know. This guy knows. He knows the history of Israel. This is many years later, hundreds of years later, that all this stuff took place. But he, he remembers. I remember you telling us to come into this land. And I read that you wouldn't let us go up against these three places. Let me read those to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 4. This is when the nation of Israel is coming into the land and command the people saying, you are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. That's one of the groups. And they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourself carefully. Just pass through. You don't need to destroy them. They're already afraid. Later on that same chapter, verse 9, then the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given R to the descendants of Lot as a possession. You don't get their land, I've already given it to them. Pass through that area also. So don't bother Seir, don't bother Moab. And finally, verse 19, And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. So you can't touch these three. And he knows this. Very handy when you're praying. Now you told us not to touch them. They're rewarding us, he says, for not touching them when we came in and wiped out everybody else. By attacking us here. What do you want us to do? These are the people you said we can't touch. Why don't you touch them? Is what he's suggesting. Would you do this? Now, all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, their children, stood before the Lord. Our kids need to see us standing before God in prayer during these times of battle. These spiritual battles. Where we rely on God to be our fortress, to be our defense, to be our our place of sanctuary, the megaphone which we go to, to ask for help. If my kids don't see me walking with the Lord, 
then everything we do by taking them to church or taking them to Sunday school, it's for naught. It's a waste of time. It's like a club. It's something to do on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. It doesn't make any difference at home. This is something we act like here at this building, but when we leave the car ride home and the car ride there, it's like, it's like we didn't hear any. I colored a page in Sunday school about being kind to the guy on the side of the road that's been knocked down and been left and forgotten by everybody else that passed by him. Mommy, Daddy, you see this? See the coloring page? Oh, yeah, it's nice. And instead of thinking about the lesson that my kids just learned, we kind of noticed they colored outside the lines and they only used one crayon. And why is it just red everywhere? And Take the time to see what your kids are learning. And do you know that story? And do they ever see you doing this story at home? Do they ever watch you walk by or help or pick up or be kind or be like Christ in the things that they're learning in Sunday school? Are they seeing that in their lives, you know? I've been convicted of that several times. There's opportunities that I let pass by me. I get a lot of opportunities. I think we all do. We have a lot of opportunities to be like Christ to a lot of different people. And I think I hit about 25% of those opportunities, it seems like. And sometimes when I want to miss one of those opportunities, the Holy Spirit will be tapping on my shoulder saying, you know, this is a good opportunity. This is a good opportunity. Oh, he passed him. He'll use my kids to be that voice from the back seat. Daddy, you know, they don't call me daddy, but should we give them a ride? I suppose. (laughs) And you turn around because the Holy Spirit just told you they need to see that. I love it that these all are standing there. All these little kids now, they might not be crying out to the Lord, but they're watching their parents cry out to the Lord for help. And then when they see God step in and do what he said he would do, they now know that it's not a, a philosophy that my parents were really praying to a real being, a real supernatural being that I've never, who, who has power, who actually did it. And now I, as a child, want to know that God. I'm no longer looking at my parents as my God. Because in a sense, that's what kids do. They look at you like the sun rises and sets on you, you know. But when they see you looking to someone else, and that someone else actually responds to their request, all of a sudden my kids want to know that God personally. I want to know him in case I'm in trouble ever. That I can cry out to him. That I can do And all of a sudden it, it changes from mom and dad's faith to their faith. You can tell a kid to be baptized. You can tell a, people, a kid to believe on Jesus and trust him for salvation. And they'll do it. An obedient kid will do that. Well, sure. If mom and dad say so, I'll do it. We're that close. But we're not close enough to a personal relationship with Jesus. They've done it because you've asked them to. Not because, not because they want to know their God. Because they want to surrender their life to him. Because they realize he's real. And they want a personal relationship. They've just done, like a good kid, what they've been told to do. And we celebrate. We get excited. And boy, we can almost hurt them. By not making it personal for them. Or let it be personal for them. All the kids are standing there. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, 
in the midst of the assembly. So he's hearing this prayer. Everybody's standing before the Lord. And this guy has the Holy Spirit come upon him, the Spirit of God. And he said prophetically in answering a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's tomorrow go down against them and they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of uh, Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. You're not going to need to fight. You're going to find them at this head of the brook. He doesn't tell them how he's going to find them. Spoiler alert, he finds them all dead. But this prophet gives them encouragement. Yes, go out. I want you to go out. Now, they're not just left there. They're not just sitting at home. I want you to get up, get yourselves ready, and I want you to go out. And I want you to meet them. You're going to find them over here, but you're not going to have to fight at all. Do I take my sword? Do I not take my sword? I, got, I have so many questions, you know. I know I'm not supposed to fight, but I'm supposed to look like I'm supposed to fight, you know. Or, or do I just kind of walk up with my hands in my pockets and say, well, we're here, you know. We're at the brook, which is how they can come. Because there's nothing there. What they should be bringing is duffel bags. And you'll see why in a minute. They didn't need a sword. They didn't need a shield. They didn't need any armor. All they needed were duffel bags. Takes them three days to bring back all the loot from all the dead guys they're going to find. Three days. Man, why did I bring this sword? You're not going to have to fight. The battle belongs to the Lord. We hear that throughout Scripture. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. You know, well, this is it. And this is what that looks like. God actually fights the battle. He actually defeats the enemy. And I sing these songs now personally that we sang this morning from experience, not just from hope. And I hope we all get to that place. We can recount times in our lives where God has fought for our families, where he's fought for us personally, that he's taken out enemies that we didn't have to take out. The people came up against us, and although I was ready and I thought I needed to prepare, I didn't need to. I prayed about it, and God, all of a sudden, they're gone. I have many stories like that. I don't talk about them too much because you don't want to be boastful or prideful or think that you're immune because you're not. I could very well find myself in a place of sin or a place of rebellion against God and get myself wiped out by any one of these enemies. But there have been times in my life where I've been walking with the Lord and there's been someone who's come up against us and as a fellowship or as a, as a ministry. I say, God, I don't know what you want me to do here. You know? So I just pray and we lift it up to you and we, we ask that you take care of this. And the person's removed from the situation. They're just no longer a problem anymore. They're gone. And God took care of them. Now, I'm not saying he killed them, but he, he removed them from the position to where they can't do any harm anymore. They either got so busy with their own life or they got caught up in their own battles that they forgot all about you or me or us. Or they lost, just flat out lost the battle. The thing didn't go the way they thought it was going to go or whatever. The battle's not going to be yours. It's mine, God says. I will do this. I'll fight for you. He's very pleased with the way Judah is running their kingdom right now. He's very happy with it. He likes it. 
I will do this, and, I, and I'm speaking on behalf of God because that's what he's saying here. I will do this every day, all day long. This is how it's always supposed to be. This is normal. This is what the kingdom's supposed to look like. This is what it looks like when a king whose heart is after mine and the people are following me and you're lifting up prayer. I will be your fortress. I'll be your defense. I'll be your forward guard, your rear guard. I will be everything you ever needed. I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. All you have to do is trust me and let me do that for you and not go to other gods. It's not hard or complicated. In my life, all I have to do is worship the Lord. I don't have to seek out other gods to maybe, maybe God will take care of this part of it, but maybe I need to go to this God to take care. I just worship him and I love him. And all of a sudden these battles are no longer mine. They're his. He takes them personally. It's wonderful. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. This is before it's happened, right? The battle hasn't happened yet. They hear that word from God and they believe. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites, and of the children of the Kohathites, Korahites, excuse me, um, stood up to praise the Lord of Israel with voices loud and high. They began to sing praises based off of a prophecy that it's all going to be okay and it hasn't happened yet and they begin to praise God for his victory in their lives we do that every Sunday and every Wednesday we praise God that he's died on the cross for our sins that he saved us from going to hell and it hasn't happened yet we're still alive we're still breathing that crossover to eternity hasn't happened but by faith we sing songs of victory and that's what they're doing So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of uh, Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. All I want you to do is believe. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before before the army uh, and we're saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So it's a, it's, a, it's a praise march or whatever, a praise parade. I just want you to believe, he says. It's all we're required to do. John chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. It includes 16, which we know. And I probably quote this passage more than any other passage, but it's so important to see this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, ever, have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You hear a theme there? There's no action on our part. There's simply believing. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. All of my sins. All of your sins. For the sins of the world. I believe that. And because of that, I'm saved. Oh, there's more to it than that. Not really. Acts chapter 16, verses 29 through 31. The guy in charge of the prison, Paul and Silas had been singing all night. The big earthquake, all the doors opened up to the prison. The prison guard, the guy in charge of the prison, thinks everybody's run. He says, no, we're all here. 
Paul cries out from the middle of the prison. No, we didn't leave. Doors are open, but we're not done ministering here, so we didn't leave. And so this guy in charge of the prison called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. <laughs> Thank you for still being here. You know, he didn't say that, but that's his heart. Because you lose the prisoners, you're dead. Oh my goodness, you're still here. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want to be saved like you. Who is this God that you sing and worship in the middle of an open prison? You know, when you could have walked out. And so they said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. It's very simple. It's not cheap grace, it's free. Can't tack anything onto it. Can't make it expensive. Can't make it cost you. It has to cost Christ everything. But it has to be a gift. He can't bill me for it. Nor can we offer to pay for it. It's a gift of God. We do need to receive it, though. They had to believe that Jesus died on the cross. That's what you need to do to be saved. Just believe, the king of Judah says. Just believe. Let's just keep walking and believing. <laughs> Let's keep singing praises and believing. Let's continue. Verse 22, now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come to, against Judah, and they were defeated. Look how they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. I don't like the way those Seers are looking at us. Let's kill them. Yeah, there's two of us. There's only one of them. We got them. Killed them. Yeah, I don't like the way you're looking at me. And all of a sudden, these guys are all fighting each other amongst themselves. Biting and devouring one another. God warns us at the church against that. Be careful that you don't bite and devour one another. He says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I like watching that on the enemy. I like to watch the enemy bite and devour one another. I think we see that a lot in the news, you know. I think we see that with woke culture. It cracks me up. All these Hollywood folks coming out saying, you know, I'm woke and this is what I believe. And then all of a sudden they'll tweet something just a little bit off, just a little bit wrong for the other woke folk. And the other woke folk call them out on and said, we're canceling you because you said he instead of it or them or they or whatever it is they want to be called. Or <laughs> I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. Best is not to talk anymore. You know, I thought, it was, I thought we were on the same team. Team? Which team? They bite and devour one another. Let's let the enemy bite and devour himself. Let's watch them do a circling fire squad. That's what we call that. Circular firing squad. Ready, aim, fire. Well, that's what happens here. That's how God defeats them. He doesn't have to do anything. They don't have to do anything. They just watch the enemy just, oh, look at them all. They're all dead. They bought, they, they, he, he didn't send angels after these guys. He didn't, they just got them to be who they are. Selfish, ambitious, and they just killed each other for it. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were the dead bodies falling on the earth. No one had escaped. I'm trying to figure out how the last guy died. 
know, I, I don't know. <laughs> but none of them escaped. I don't mean to laugh. I do kind of though, because I love my God and I love how he works. And how ironic as they come over the crest of the hill going, okay, here we go. Here we go. Huh. <laughs> they should have brought a duffel bag, you know. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, and they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away, and they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of um, Beracha. I don't know how to pronounce it, but that sounded like a good accent to put on it. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Baracha until this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat in front of them, to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. Now that would be a great place to start a new king, right? That's where I want it to end. I want it to end with this next usual salutation. So Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. You know, just giving him the rundown. Just the Wikipedia on what happened to this guy, you know. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of uh, Shelai, whatever. And he walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not directed their hearts um, to the God of their fathers. Not his fault, but the people just really didn't get on board. Now, the rest of the Acts of Jehoshaphat, first and last, indeed, they are written in the book of Jehu, the son of Hananiah, which is mentioned in the book of the kings of Israel. And that's where it's supposed to end. Right there. Like every other king in the world, they give us that basic, here's a synopsis, here's what happened, here's his stats. But they had to write an addendum. Oh, so disappointing. Verse 35. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. Exactly where we started this morning. And he decided to ally himself with him and go to char- get some ships and go to Tarshish. That should be familiar. And they made the ships of um, Ezion, uh, Geber. But Eliezer, the son of Dodava, the, uh, of Mirisha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. Now, that's it. Just a dumb little move, made an investment, got excited, aligned himself with this, you know, whatever, this guy, this wicked king. You know, this guy, hey, I got, some, I got this great idea. We're going to get some ships. We're going to go to Tarshish. No one goes down there. Silver. We're going to do some trading. It's going to be awesome. That sounds like a great idea, man. I mean, I know you don't love the Lord. You kind of hate him, but this is business. It really doesn't have anything to do with God. This is just business. And God says, you shouldn't align himself with that. I'm going to sink all your ships. And they're all gone. There goes your investment, you know. Oh, It's a dumb little addendum that didn't need to be added, you know. But I learned from that personally. Jehoshaphat can be larger than life. They can be legends to us. Some of these guys that walk with 
the Lord David and all these guys, we can make them out to be these, oh, I mean, wow. I mean, whoa. When you read closely, they're exactly like us. They're exactly like us. Had this tremendous victory. Got rebuked midway through his ministry. Okay, okay, yeah, I shouldn't have gone with Ahab. That was a bad idea. He was a wicked king. I know, I learned. Okay, got it. Now we're really going to turn the country over to God. We're really going to go to battle. We're going to trust him. We're going to worship God. We're going to have this Jericho march sort of, you know, this praise and worship band uh, parade all the way up. Oh, we got all this stuff. And then after it's forgotten or after some time passes, he aligns himself with another wicked king, you know. Goes back to those... Well, we just really have to guard ourselves, I guess, is what I take away from this. I have to be careful about myself. I have a tendency to go to that automatically. If I'm not completely and fully aware of Jesus in my life and my relationship with him and his kingship and lordship of my life, I don't pray about everything. You pray about everything. I need to pray about everything. Even though I don't probably have to pray about everything, I know me. I'm going to pray about everything because I just don't want to blow it. I don't want this. I don't want an addendum. You know, J.D. was a wicked kid all the way till he got saved when he was 20 years old or 19 years old. And then he just served the Lord. And he served the Lord. It was just great. And then at the end of his life, he aligned himself with some wicked people. I don't want it to end like that. You know, neither do any of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, being such an honest book. You just tell us about the lives, all of it. They don't become legends. We make them legends, but you, you keep them people. And thank you, God, for that. We can learn from that. We learn from people's success as they walk with you, and we learn from people's failure when they don't. And that's our lives. And so, Lord, help us to walk closely with you, closer than we ever have before, to seek you out, to pray, to walk the walk that we talk, that our kids might see it, that we might have victories, that we might have stories like this written about where we trusted God and you get the glory for it because you gave us a victory in these areas of our lives. Lord, help us to just stay steadfast, to stay true, to endure to the end, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a good rest of the morning. And uh, if you need prayer, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.